Welcome back. This is The Hockey Flow, and I'm pleased to share it with Marco D'Amico and Adam Boucher, who you can find on Twitter. Adam can be found at really Adam B, and Mark can be found at scribbageandstats.com, and of course, at The Hockey Expert. I'm AJ Cordero. Welcome to Season 2 of The Hockey Flow. We're going to be flowing in a little bit of a different direction. Your first season with us, which we loved, and thank you so much for joining us for the ride, and continuing with our ride as we can on to Season 2, we're going to be focusing much more on the Habs this season because, again, that's our passion, and that's generally where the conversation drifted, and that's primarily where our fan base is. So we're just going to serve you, the fans, our loyal Montreal Canadiens fans, and, of course, we're going to sprinkle in all the good stuff that's happening around the NHL. And speaking of Habs, well, they're back in action. They're not Season hasn't started, but Rookie Camp has. And so I'm not going to waste any more seconds. Let's bring in the two masters of the ice. Marco, Adam, where did we want to begin? Well, Rookie Camp ended. <laughs> Um, so basically, uh, rookie camp started uh, a week ago today, and so I mean, we've been talking about you know the the players that the Canadians can have at their rookie camp because obviously a lot of them are based in the NCAA, are in Europe, and therefore ineligible unless they have a contract like Matthias Norlander um, to join the team. So it was very interesting to see uh, some of the players that stood out. I don't know what you thought about it, Adam, but I. I'm very thankful that we got to watch the Montreal Canadiens, um, you know, play their prospects in a non-aggressive uh, scenario, like the Traverse City prospects games, which saw a few players get pretty much destroyed. One actually, McIsaac, uh stretched it out of the ice. So I don't know. Did you did you enjoy the prospects game? Did you watch any of it? Yeah, I watched a couple against uh, Ottawa. I feel like we got to see a bunch of of younger prospects we weren't used to seeing in, in the past. And, you know, all eyes were pretty much on Norlander, Misak, a bunch of those, I guess, older prospects. And and you saw a mix of, of newer guys like Joshua Roy and Xavier Simoneau that really impressed me during those games. So it was really fun to see. And now a bunch of them got invites to the real camp. So that's going to be interesting for sure. Yeah, I was, I was also... You know, I, I kind of knew what I, we were dealing with, with the, you know, the 2018 and the 2019 crop that was that was there. Um, it was really fun to be able to see, however, the, the 2021 crop, uh, the, the crop of players that were picked this year. Granted, uh, he who shall not be named uh, was not uh, was not at camp, the first round pick of this year. So uh, we basically had uh, Riley Kidney. Um, Xavier Simonon, Joshua Voix, William Trudeau, uh, and Joe Verbetic, uh, and Sobolev as well, Daniel Sobolev. Uh, so a very, uh, a, a lot of fresh faces uh, that we haven't seen play before. And it was, it was kind of refreshing. I, you know, I was very interested to see like who you thought was the most impressive to you. Honestly, it, on my end, it was Gouli and Norlander, just them playing as a pairing. I, I, I know it was all the hype was placed on those two, I, I guess, as the top pairing in those games. I just feel like Gouli's such a force on defense already, and it's it's what? It's, it's his second camp? First. He's been drafting. First. It's, there, it's was no, first. there was no rookie camp last year. There was, a, there was a limit on the player totals last year. So Very true. It, so unless you had a real shot of making the team, you didn't partake at rookie camp. Uh, uh, training camp, sorry. True. And yeah, he was... Honestly, it was so good, but the the one player that stood out for me was, and I guess it helped that he played AHL last year with the Rocket. But Harvey Pinard was really good. Like I feel like he's he's the type of player that really has a chance to 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 get NHL games this year. Yeah, granted, I mean Ilonen, uh, 
was another one I believe that probably is higher on the depth chart, but I think the Canadians are weaker at left wing than they are at right wing, which, I mean, Yelonen can play both, but if you really want a, a left shooting player, especially with Joel Teasdale out to start the season, I think, yeah, Harvey Pernard is, is positioning himself quite well. Um, for me, the players that really stood out uh, were Johnny Fairbrother. I felt like every single game I watched him play, uh, he was doing something good. He was chippy. He was killing plays. He was joining the rush, constantly making the right play at the right time. I really liked what he did. Uh, William Trudeau impressed in his first game. Uh, good mobility. Um, I guess with a guy like William Trudeau, and especially with the viewings that I've had, it's always the smart play that he makes. It's always the high percentage play. And that's what I like about him because we see with Montreal Canadiens prospects is they're basically taught to, to, to go for the low percentage plays because it requires less effort and less chance of injury. Uh, William Trudeau didn't care and basically would do the best play at the best possible moment, mostly all the time uh, in the offensive zone. So it's good to see a player that can help the transition and take uh, and activate himself on the blue line. Um, and then at forward, Joshua, wow, I mean, holy moly, first overall pick in the QMJHL in 2019. Um, things didn't really work out with him in St. John. Um, he went and got traded to the Sherbrooke in Phoenix. Sorry, the Phoenix in Sherbrooke and dropped 25 pounds in about three months and went on practically a goal per game pace. Um, so, the, I mean, it was very interesting to see the progress the sharp progress in a late born keep in mind like he just turned 18 like he he just turned 18 i believe in august like he was even younger in his draft year than kakanyemi was in in 2018's draft year like it's it's insane and yet in fact he was the youngest player at camp at prospects camp and for me he was the best forward uh constantly making the smart plays constantly going to the net constantly trying to find um you know his his teammates on the ice and it was rewarded he was the forward with the most amount of points in the three games that he played. And I found that, you know, the talent was there, which usually in a, in a player like him, the talent is always there, but Holy moly was the desire ever there. He was, he was just constantly playing to a higher tempo shift after shift after shift. And there wasn't much flow to those prospect games, but when he was on the ice with Mishak, those two formed a duo that I thought controlled the game very, very well. So he more than earned, uh, in my opinion, at least a game, a preseason game. Uh, and hopefully it's against Toronto. And he's a fifth round pick. Like, talk about value. Like, I yeah, didn't well, some, even know before. Some people didn't even rank him. Some, he wasn't even ranked in certain circles. For a fifth rounder, the amount of talent and what he brought to those games, crazy. So yeah, for sure he earned at least a preseason game with, with the big club. Yeah, no, absolutely. And these are the kinds of gambles the Montreal Canadiens are going to need to start taking in the mid-rounds if they're going to be able to produce more than just simple bottom six, bottom pair defensemen out of the draft. Uh, they need to start collecting at drafts. They need to start, you know, producing players that can fit into your top six, that can fit into your top four, that aren't picked in the first round because the first round seems to be so difficult. So a player or a risk like him, ideal, honest to God, perfect, a right-handed shot that can play center, that can play wing. Um, for me, he 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 proved to me that he remains the biggest likelihood of a steal in the 2021 crop for the Montreal Canadiens. Jonathan Drouin, where does he slot in? Uh, I know that there were um, 
I know that there were a lot of discussions of potentially playing him at center because they didn't feel like they had someone to replace uh, Kakaniemi in that third center role. Personally, I think he's going to slot in in the top six at the left wing where exactly where he belongs. The question is simply, will he play with Suzuki or will he play with Dvorak? Um, I, I, think, I think Dvorak makes sense, but the reason why I think that is because for zone entries, for utilizing speed up the wings, I feel like a guy like Drewing, you know, being able to get to the zone, get into the offensive zone, and then rely on a trailer like Dvorak. Now, when I say trailer, I mean the guy that kind of comes in after you've arrived into the zone to support you and not the fact that he's just like a big old car. So when he comes into the zone, he's able to process support. The thing with Drouin is he usually would be the first one to, you know, to create the zone entry and in the past wouldn't have much support because his center was either, you know, Max Domi, who himself would stick on the periphery, or a younger Nick Suzuki, um, who couldn't keep up skating-wise at the time. His skating has since drastically improved. So having a guy like Dvorak, who's a crash-and-bang guy that goes straight to the net, uh, I feel like will complement him very well. And then you have, you know, uh, an embarrassment of choices on the right-hand side. Do you put a Brendan Gallagher? Do you put an Anderson? Do you put a Toffoli? Um, so I, I think that that duo would work well, just as well as the suzuki Caulfield duo would work well. I don't know what you think, Adam, in terms of, of drawing, but I, I, if he's as motivated as he is, I, I would want to spread out the offense. I wouldn't necessarily want to put him with Suzuki other than the power play. No, honestly, I wouldn't. And I think as of now, I feel like he's going to slot probably in a third-line role. I I want to I want to see him in the top six for sure, but I feel like he's gonna start at top at like third line and just make his way up. I I just feel like with this the 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 playoffs they had last year and it's that top line of Suzuki Caulfield and Toffoli. I I just feel like you have to keep it that way, right? It's the only line they're able to keep intact because you lost Dano, you lost KK, so now I feel like you just have to start and roll with this line. And then you just have Dvorak with a guy like Drouin, with a guy like Gallagher at, at second line, and then you just trickle down because it, it it looks more and more like we're going to see a paling at center, either that's third line or fourth line role. Um, Jean made comments today earlier that his center line, he had a, so much choice at center. So, And he, he named Suzuki, Dvorak, Evans, Paling, and Paquette. So in that order so it kind of feels like Paling has a roster spot to lose I don't know what you think for for center but I I, I just feel like Dwayne has to slot in at that wing somewhere at second or third line yeah I, I think second line makes a ton of sense I think he's going to play with Dvorak I don't think uh you necessarily want to play Drouin on a third line that doesn't have a score and if again if you're gonna have Drouin with Dvorak Dvorak has been pacing for 20 goals now for, for about two years, probably going to be three years uh, with the heightened role he has in Montreal plus the power play time. So then if you were to assume that one of Gallagher Anderson would play on that right wing with them, then you would also assume that one of those two would be on the third line. So you're going to have at least a 20 goal scorer on your third line right wing. Where would you, if Drouin is playing on your top six, is your second line left wing, 
then that by default means Hoffman is playing on your third line. So now you have two scorers, very different types of scorers, be it Gallagher, Anderson, or Toffoli, uh, or uh, Hoffman. And that's where things get interesting with a Paling, with an Evans. Can any of these two centers not only keep up, but then also cover for them? If it's Gallagher, it's less of an issue, and I honestly think we're going to see Gallagher play on the third line to, to help shoulder the weight of the defensive and five-on-five play for the young center that's going to pivot him, be it Paling or Evans, but also especially if Hoffman's on the left wing. So it, it's going to be very interesting, but I think that this is the deepest depth, deepest depth, of course, that the Canadians have had at wing overall uh, in a very, very long time. And I said the same thing last year, and yet it's even more apparent this year. I think the biggest question mark is simply, will the center line hold up? Oh, and it's 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 just crazy when you think about it. I forgot, totally forgot about Hoffman. He's a guy that scored 30 goals, right? So having him on a second or third line role just brings more depth, as you mentioned. And I just feel like the more the year's going to progress, the more Paling's going to bring more of offensive upside than, than Evans would. So maybe Evans would bring more of a similar type play as Dano did last year and so more balanced but Paling has more upside offensively I feel like and the more he takes confidence the better it, it will be and the better you'll, you'll be able to split your first three lines yeah no it's and that's definitely the thing for me is that if you have a fourth line that is made up of you know Evans, Armia and one of Perot, Lekkonen or Byron throughout the year because Byron will be coming back till January um that makes for a great, very efficient fourth line. And again, there was a time where Joel Armia, Lekkonen, and a young center was the Canadian's third line. And now it's being pushed to fourth, if not, you know, extra forwards. Not Armia, of course, but more Lekkonen or, or, or a guy like Perot. So it's very interesting to me that that kind of depth along the wings has pushed guys that three years ago were actively playing in the team's top six to the periphery. Um, so it's going to be great for a guy like Jake Evans, who will be able to express himself a little bit more offensively with players who have scored more than 10 goals in their career, or in Deno's case, 12 goals. I think the question now then turns to the D combos that are available to the team. There's quite a bit on this 70-man roster. It's going to be obviously cut down. Who do you see is making those combos? That's tough. That's really tough because there's what you want, and then there's what Ducharme will probably do. What right. we want is Romanov playing a top four role, role like consistently, and what we're gonna get is probably not that to start the year, right? If 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 we roll back to the playoffs when he was scratched most of that finals run, probably gonna see him in the bottom pairing role to start, and then I don't know. I just feel like with the loss of Weber, it, it would be the perfect timing to to jumpstart Romanov's career. He did play last season, but like him not playing in the playoffs has to affect his development a bit, right? I agree. I think that the D combos have a lot to do with who makes the team and who doesn't. Um, if by some miracle Norlander is able to crack the roster, for the record, I do not believe he's anywhere near NHL ready yet. Like I, I don't at all. I've been adamant about this uh, in his games in the SHL last year, this year, uh, preseason, start of season. And especially uh, in the uh, rookie games that we saw, 
I honestly, I'm not sold. I believe that it would be best for him to go back. Now, granted that, you would assume that your first pairing would be Steady Eddie and Jeff Petrie, which was basically the Canadians' like most responsible pairing in the playoffs. I know a lot of people will say, oh, but Weber, Sherratt. No, Weber was great. Sherratt was something else. Um, and then it's what do you do with two veterans like Sherratt and Savard? Do you put them together to recreate the kind of Sherratt-Weber pairing, but instead it be Sherratt-Savard? Or do you split them up to spread the wealth of experience so that you have Sherratt with a Weidman and a Savard with a Romanov? And there, that allows you to have an offensive player on each pair. So logically for me, that would be how I would go about it. Now, granted, there are veterans on this team. There are egos. There are contracts. Um, so I do understand that. And I think what's going to end up happening is Sherrod is going to wind up playing with Savard. And then Romanov will either play with Weidman if he's good enough to crack the roster full time or probably move to right defense in Brett Kulak would end up slotting in the third uh, left defenseman. Even even with that, Savard Chirot could be a... All, it's it's the same role as Weber played with Chirot or Weber... Savard's not Weber, but still. Savard's a bit younger. He's a bit maybe more mobile than Weber was near the end there. We'll see what happens, but yeah. Last year, if you had to really like weigh last year versus this year. And again, all due respect to Shea Weber. All due respect. Fantastic career. Was a monster in the playoffs. He had a terrible season last year. Terrible season. I said it myself. He looks finished. And I was right because, as we thought, he was, he was bringing along a suitcase of injuries with him. And it just it caught up to him over the years and unfortunately when that's when you see that in a player it looks like a last hurrah so his play last year was inconsistent uh he had one good game and then he would, he would go on to have five atrocious games and the Habs defense would lean more and more on Jeff Petrie and 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 Joel Edmondson and we learned to love that pairing and that pairing for me should be your first pairing who would have thought Joel Edmondson first pair defenseman in Montreal but I believe that their chemistry makes them very good together and they were one of the best five-on-five pairings. Uh, one of, I think Joel Edmondson was like at the top of the league for like plus-minus for a while. It was fantastic, even though that statistic is irrelevant. It's just funny to see. So to me, they stick. The real crux of that decision falls around what does your second pair look like? Once we decide that, and I think we, they, the Canadians have an idea, but they'll let Camp decide, then you see who plays on your third line. So thinking about other people, uh, the rookies that are coming up through the system, there were a bunch that were already invited to the official team camp, including Dello, uh, Hillis, Mizak, Fairbrother, Gravel. They're, they're the future, and we're really excited about that future, but how many of them have a chance to crack the roster? A goose, yeah, a giant goose egg. And that's okay. Why? Because the player that was supposed to crack the lineup this year ended up cracking it last year and went on a giant playoff run with the team. His name is Cole Caulfield. So when your two best or two most exciting players are age 20 and 22, because obviously Nick Suzuki, it becomes a little less important because your key pieces are being put in place. Romanov is already with the team. He went through this last year. So it's not as relevant 
to me. This is about development. The Habs, and I'm not going to hide it from anybody, the Habs do not have a blue chip prospect left in their prospect pool. People would be like, oh, but Romanov, oh, but Caden Gould. No, they have, they do not have a top 20 or a top 30, for that matter, prospect in their prospect pool as we speak. And that's okay because they're dealing, basically, they went and got a defenseman in the middle of the first round last year in Caden Gooley, who's going to probably prop up as a very efficient second pair defenseman. And that, at that point in the draft, at 16th overall, Teams pay more than the 16th overall pick to get defensemen like that. So that was a good, that was a good bet. But very rarely are you going to get that kind of value in the draft when you're picking as late as the Habs have been picking the last couple of years. 2017, you know, unfortunately, their third overall pick didn't work out, and that's on them. But everybody else is kind of in their shoes. Ryan Paling is the only prospect with a legitimate chance to make this team. He's the only one, but he's already got games. He... Can we really call him a prospect when he's just so close? I guess, but he wasn't at prospects camp, so it's a little difficult to look. I think prospects camp this year was looking at where they are, what they've improved on, and what they still need to improve on. And I think that if you look at a player like Jan Mishak, who was talking about the change in the way that he plays the game, the way that he prepares for games, since he went to Laval last year, And mind you, he is eligible for the Laval Rocket this year, having played 20 AHL games, or 22 last year. Um, And he said that he changed his entire approach to to the way that he thinks the game. And I think we saw it during the Prospects game. He was all over the ice. So I think they're just looking to gauge uh, and see where things are. They're going to probably give a lot of these guys some preseason games to get their feet wet. Uh, And ultimately, bringing them along slowly, because at forward... I think along the wings, the Montreal Canadiens are set easily for another two two to three years. So they can take their time with these guys. And that's a luxury that they haven't been able to afford many players on their prospect pool for the last 15 years. Speaking of wingers, right, left wing, it doesn't matter. The man is getting $45 million, and that is Kaprizov at the Minnesota Wild. Congrats on the contract. What are the implications? Obviously, quite a big contract for the Winnesota Wild to swallow, but clearly a long-term move. Wasn't that the offer they made him a couple months ago where he said, no, I want 10? No, he wanted... Um, they offered him 9 times 8. And, and so he wanted a shorter-term contract because he thinks that in five years' time, um, you know, this pandemic will be an endemic, and you know, the cap will start increasing at that point as quickly as it used to. Therefore, by waiting to the fifth year, not only does he hit unrestricted free agency, he gets to cash in exactly as the cap increases. That's a gamble and a half, though. I mean, betting on yourself has proven a lot of players right, especially talented players like him. Um, and if not, it's an excessively good payday. I mean, the third year of his contract, I think he's making $12 million. And only the last two years of his contract have any trade protection. So if things go sour with him, you know, they could still they can still move him should they should they see fit or include him in a package in case that in case there's a rebuild that to be had. You know, I mean they did a good job of rebuilding so far, but when the buyouts for Parisi and Suter kick in next year, are they really going to be a competitive team? We don't know. That totally depends on their prospect pool panning out. So it gives Minnesota flexibility as well. Look, five times nine 
he he got paid he got his bag he won the calder trophy he i guess he deserved it right it's it's a gamble on on minnesota's and and because they they saw him for what 56 games we'll see what happens but if he keeps it up if he's a point per game player nine million i mean he deserves it and a, and a point per game player need we remind you in minnesota exactly yeah i mean it's worth saying i don't think I don't think they're a horrible team, but he made them a he made them a good team. Oh, he brought them to the playoffs along with good goaltending and like they had goaltending, they had defense, and they had him on offense. Like he's the only forward that brought him to the playoffs. So well, him and Joel Eriksson had a had a really really good season. In any case, speaking of flexibility, let's talk about the absolute inflexibility that the Columbus Blue Jackets are showing towards Zach Ronaldo who won't have him because he's unvaccinated in training camp. Uh, thoughts on this, gentlemen? Not necessarily the political side, but just sort of the team ramifications. I mean, Columbus was the first team to really speak out, right? R- regarding vaccines, they said uh, they said bye-bye to, to Sylvain Lefebvre a couple weeks back, and now they're saying this about Ronaldo. And it just looks like most teams are just trying to get their players vaccinated. Columbus are just coming straight out and saying you're not welcome in our locker room, basically. Yeah, I mean, I can understand what Kekalainen is trying to do here. I think he's a he's a no nonsense kind of GM. I think we've seen that in the past with the way that he's dealt with certain players. And I feel like at this point, you know, he's got to make a choice for the rest of the team. Are you really going to put any risk? into the potential play of, of your players. You know, it's it's a big deal because if something happens, you may not, you know, players may be able to go on LTIR, sure. But what if it's one of your top players that ends up getting infected after that? I mean, you can get all the cap space you want from LTIR, but then you're in kind of in trouble. Now, granted, vaccination does not guarantee complete immunity from infection, but... It is important that they protect the players and they limit propagation to the maximum possible way without necessarily uh, barricading them in their hospital room, in their, uh, not hospital, sorry, in their hotel rooms like they did last year. I think no player wants to go back to that. And so as a communal thing, if you look at the NHL right now, 98% of players are vaccinated. And, you know, I can understand certain players' hesitation uh, but Zach Ronaldo was at like PPC meetings in Ontario and, and strongly advocating for pro-choice. So I understand where he's coming from. I understand what he's doing. But I think that Kekalainen has a responsibility to the organization. And I think he took a decision based on that. Now, whether that holds or not, the NHLPA is getting involved in this. They're checking to see if there's a potential grievance involved. And if they realize that, you know, at the end of the day, you can't do that. Well, then Columbus is going to have to swallow their pride and take him in or waive him. And that will bring about a whole other situation. Um, ultimately, at the end of the day, Ronaldo made a choice. Uh, he's going to have to live with it. So we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. And that is the joy of preseason as we lead up into the start of the next season. Uh, I just want to close off with the 
some of the stuff that people were looking in the Twitter sphere. Uh, some of the A's were already appearing on some of the jerseys at Media Day. Uh, Galley, Petrie, Tofoli with A's, including also Suzuki as well. How are we feeling about this? If this is the case, if this, those are the four guys that are taking the A's for the Le Blanc et Rouge. I don't think the four of them are. Uh, I don't think the four of them will be the only ones to wear the A's, and I think that's what's going to happen. I think you're going to have two guys that are going to absolutely wear the A's, and then a rotation. Uh, with two wearing A's at home, two wearing A's on the road. Um, I'm very happy that Suzuki is getting an A. I think he wholeheartedly deserves it. Um, I think Toffoli showed a lot of leadership last year as well. So those are the right guys. And of course, Gallagher, um, if he doesn't have a C, he has to have an A. And that's it for the Hockey Flow. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for joining us. That sounds a little bit strange, but this is the start of the next journey of this season, and we're hopefully going to land back where we ended up last season, but of course, that was sort of a dream run. And you can go and listen all to back our wonderful noises that came out of our face that we, as we celebrated the Canadians reaching the Stanley Cup Finals. Anyways, let me give you the shout-outs that you need to know. First of all, the Hockey Flow can be found at the Hockey Flow. That's D-A-H-O-C-K-E-Y-F-L-O-W on Twitter. You can find Marco and Adam on Twitter. Mark can be found at the Hockey Expert, and Adam can be found at Really Adam B. And... Marco is, of course, the hockey expert, but you can also find him at scrimmageandstats.com, and that is where we're going to leave you today. So cheers, thanks again, and we're going to catch you next week.